0: Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech.
1: Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each, then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon.
2: All right, everybody, this is In Liberty and Health. Welcome back. I'm super excited for this show. I've seen these gentlemen um, not only on my show, but on um, other people's shows as well, including Reed's, um, quite a few times. So um, I won't keep you guys too long in this portion of the show. Make sure you go check out the links below to follow me and these guys everywhere. Um, You can find them. And let's go. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast where we talk all things liberty health and wellness and beyond my hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being i hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests we're on all major streaming platforms so please sit back relax and enjoy man i'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13 year old son on plague day
3: (laughs) I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So, if that's a problem, kiss my ass.
4: Okay? Oh, <laughs> All right.
2: What's up everybody? No, nah, I'm and, uh, Justin, welcome back. I'm very, very stoked to have Ian's here. I was just listening to Ian's on a Reed show from like a year ago, or, uh, might've even been like two, just, uh, you know, going over kind of some of the COVID stuff back then. And, you know, that feels like we're so far removed, but, um, yeah, I guess, uh, that's, we can get into that a little bit later. Um, Justin, how you doing today?
3: I'm not doing too bad. I feel like that show two years ago on Reed's show was back when me and Joe kind of predicted the fall of the Libertarian Party. <laughs> like- <laughs> right? Uh- <laughs> Like, play-by-play,
5: play too.
2: Uh, Joe, what about you? What's going on, man?
5: Oh, geez. Life's crazy, man. Uh, new job, uh, changing positions, running for mayor. Well, attempting to run for mayor. They seem to put a whole bunch of new rules in there. Makes it real hard to run for mayor when you're homeless. Uh <laughs> But, uh, job uh, working on a couple campaigns right now, in the addition to my own. Uh, still working on medical marijuana, getting it legalized here. Our uh, state just opened up a brand new citizens initiative that I'm trying to help out with the uh, ranked choice voting. You know, and uh, sh- man, I'm busy. I'm busy. Drop the whole rank
3: choice voting thing. I'll tell you that right now. The math doesn't add up. It's not actually a good thing. It doesn't help. It doesn't work. Uh, It's actually made the third parties in Maine and Vermont completely irrelevant.
0: Hmm. Yeah,
5: I know there's a certain risk of that. But right now, uh, the thing is, in Idaho in particular, now Maine and Vermont, most of those were purplish enough. Uh, State of Idaho, we're 70% red. You know, so rank choice voting pretty much throws it up in the air for anybody uh, because third parties are just in, in independence uh, have just as much or have as much opportunity as the Democrats now in this state so it's uh, it's like I said it's crazy uh, I know star voting was one of the options that was coming out um, ranked choice voting was something that worked for Alaska maybe not so much for Maine but yeah. again we're more with it independence. And that's part of the thing with the whole third parties is between the way uh, the LNC uh, screwed, you know, the Libertarian Party this last two years and what the Green Parties have done to themselves. Literally, we need something that creates opportunities for independence, because that's the only way forward at this point, unless we do something to recapture the third parties again from these lunatics that have taken charge of them. Yeah. well
3: i mean why capture the third parties instead of trying to capture one of the major two like and, and honestly like I, i've been black about every strategy every which way for years going on end but like it's gotten to the point where like at least like here in new hampshire where i look at things strategically it's like we're a purple state we're as purple as they come we elect a republican mm-hmm. governor with 70 uh landslide with two democratic congresswomen at the same time in the meantime, though, libertarians control our statehouse. Like the Libertarian Party might not have ballot access, but there's like there, there there's a more Libertarian Party members than I can count on two hands who have just registered as Republican, gotten elected, and gotten into leadership, and now actually control the process of the legislation in the state. So why respect the other parties at all? Fuck it, Joe, go run as a Democrat.
5: Well, I wouldn't run as a Democrat in the state of Idaho, fuck that. Uh, but when it comes down to it, you know, it's GOP. Right? I think everybody
3: can get down with this. I'm sorry to interrupt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, there used to be a whole caucus for that. At the, when the Libertarian Party was at its biggest and its best and it had its biggest national conventions, there used to be a pineapple caucus. Uh, they, they didn't campaign. They didn't run candidates. They didn't involve themselves in inner party politics. They just booked the biggest suite at the hotel for the convention.
5: And ordered uh, pizza with pineapple on
3: it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Was, was, uh, there a, was there a punch bowl with keys, too? Absolutely. <laughs> and you know what? That was true liberty unity. That was true. I, I'm unity. sure the fuck it was. <laughs> you had the Prags. you had the Radical Caucus, you had the. like. Everyone. I'm sure they were real radical. Absolutely. Now,
5: the interesting thing here in Idaho is post-docs, you know, the GOP went freaking nuts. You know, right now we are, uh, we got a huge influx of Christian nationalists now. You know, Patriot Front decided to pay a visit to one of our pride events. <laughs> you know, I i mean, how bad is when, you know, the FBI starts showing up in their Patriot Front gear trying to pull people in. Uh, and they're using your state to do it. You know, using a pride event in your state to do it.
3: We had a fun one. We we had a uh, we had a drag queen story hour in downtown Manchester, New Hampshire, at a private bookstore, and like the Nazis said they were going to go protest. And we have legitimate Nazis. There's like six. Yeah. Of them. Oh I, yeah. can, I can name all six of them. I've seen them enough at different events. They like know me. They get mad when we show. up. I'm like I'm going to go film these guys being assholes. It's going to be hilarious. Um, what I was not expecting as I'm filming these guys being assholes with Nick Sarwark and his four children walking right out the door in front of the camera from the drag queen story hour. And that is what the internet took away from the whole thing was like, <laughs> the, not the six Nazis being assholes. It's like, Oh my God, he's stalking Nick Sarwark. I'm like, I didn't know he was there. Well,
4: he didn't you didn't expect him to
5: be there,
2: but yeah. Yeah. But kind he, of yeah. to that point. Um, I, I think a lot of people are underestimating just how like, popular the right-wing narratives is now um i and i throw this out there all the time that like the mainstream media is no longer like msnbc cnn and stuff like that it's joe rogan it's timpool um all like your favorite podcasts they top the charts now they've won (laughs) there's no more like media war anymore they have won their narratives are now officially out front and you know saturated in the culture so every time i see this shit like libs and tip TikTok, when people think that like this is happening left and right, like people full on reject this shit, and I think they're there's a hard swing back to the right that a lot of people are going to be sorry for.
3: It's, it's gonna it's gonna be a painful swing back to the right because one of the things that I've taken from the past year or so is that the rights caught on to something I thought they never would. They haven't caught on to it in a way they've been able to actually take advantage of yet, but they've caught on to the fact that art and media matter. More than politics and campaigns, almost. Their art there are media social, kind of sucks, social. though.
2: Like yeah, bad. no, they're terrible at it. They are not <laughs> good at
3: it. The yeah. left has controlled that for so long because that's where the creative end up. Because, let's face it, they don't want to fucking work. They get real creative on how to pay the bills. Uh, that's <laughs> where they end up. But it matters because that's what pushes culture and pushes narrative. And, like, I watched... Um, what's his name? Um... Shit! The uh, the little movie, um, I, I can't remember his name right now. Thought my head tax protester, um, I should know his name. He came to Porkfest, I've, I've him. he spoke. He just made a movie, a movie about uh, uh, the Jones plantation uh, movie. It's a terrible film. It's horrible but like my honest review is everyone needs to go watch it and support it because like you know what we're finally doing it we're making a movie that shows how like the plot of the movie is this guy's slaves are getting unruly so he has to hire a consultant to come in and get his slaves under control Mm -hmm. and the consultant happens to be a black dude who comes in and tells all the slaves hey you're free now you run the plantation you get to vote on who's in charge of the plantation and then never tells them that they're actually still slaves and those slaves just go along running the plantation for themselves. It's it at least somebody's trying to make media that tells that story and teaches that narrative. It didn't go I didn't like it. It was not good, uh, but it's still worth supporting. But then now you see the right trying to capture media and art that e- they wasn't even intended for them. Like look at this Richmond North of Richmond song.
5: Right? The Richmond North of
2: Richmond. Yeah. Well, you know, okay, so you know what's the takeaway from at least in my opinion, as a musician, is that yeah. the, th- the reason why it's so popular is because he wrote about a theme. When you start dropping names right. and dates and stuff like that, it loses all relevance. So, like, you think right. about Eric July, who I like a lot, but his music had a-, a shelf life because he was dropping people's names in the music and it was just like so
3: explicitly political sure. that it lost a lot of the weight, you know, I'll, I'll a draw, year or two afterwards. I'll draw two parallels here on using both Eric July and Oliver Anthony. Um, I think Oliver Anthony tries really, really hard to be. Um, like the new Appalachian folk punk, the new Appalachian folk country, uh, that you get from like, uh, what's his kid face, uh, Nose of the Grindstone and like, uh, Fe- uh, Feathered Indians. Like, there's other artists out there that are doing that pure, raw, emotional Appalachian country, and it's it's awesome, it's killer music. I love it. His felt really forced to me, but it also, like if you actually listen to it and you know the history of rural coal mining towns in Appalachia, like that is a leftist union organizing song day in and right. day out. And the right is just like this is ours now. We're taking it. Um Eric July, he was in another band before backwards. They kicked him out because apart from the gods, correct. Yeah, they kicked him out because he was hard to work with and he kept trying to force politics into their music. And they replaced him with just another black libertarian who could sing, rap, and scream and kind of looks like him, but started writing really good music. You know what's funny (laughs) is that actually he was... I was going to get him
2: on the show. Um, Him and I DM back and forth, but he just stopped DMing me, unfortunately. But he's really good at writing about themes. He's not dropping names. And like he's a phenomenal singer. Like The three albums that they put out absolutely fantastic front to back and like the backwards album is
3: good but i'm sorry the fire from it the doesn't God have albums. replay value like i've seen backwards yeah, exactly i've, I've yes. seen backwards live twice mm-hmm. and i've listened to that whole album cover to cover once but like mm-hmm. there's a couple songs i go back to like self-ownership with france and matilda that's a great song i can go yeah. back to that and listen to it fire from the gods i've listened to excuse me a thousand times the acoustic yes. version, even. I just put it yeah. on loop. Uh, and it, it's the same message. And here's the killer part. as like I'm pretty sure Eric actually wrote that song. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kicked him out before they recorded the final version of it. Mm-hmm. And it's like that, it, that is the one that got them over the edge. And he wrote it. Like, one of the things I didn't like about Backwards album was Eric leaned too heavily into like the diss tracks and making arguments about everything. And, like you said, name dropping and things that didn't become relevant. He wrote a diss track about Fire from the Gods. And complaining about how they got big off the song he wrote. Excuse me. Like, well, if you weren't, if everything else you did wrote didn't suck to them, maybe you'd still be in the band.
4: <laughs>
3: yeah, I mean, and I point. like Eric. Like, yeah. and, and I like Eric. I think his content's great. It, it really bothers me that in a world where Eric July exists, Maj Majdore is the token we got stuck with.
5: Uh, but it's it's interesting because the music. The music's always been the lead for the counterculture, right? You know, he had timeless music from the '70s, the anti-war, movement, you know, Fortune Sun, Credence. Exactly. Uh, that that's you know, like the
2: ideal song that is about a theme them.
5: about anti-war. Yeah, Yeah. you can. You and Dale Gribble's
3: cover of it you is incredible. Played it
5: Fifty years ago, you play it yesterday. You'll be able to play it in twenty years from now. Yep. You know, and people will still understand it when we're right fighting the back. Chai comms. Vom- you know, you, you saw five-finger, you know, five-finger death punch, try and replicate that, you a know, little method, but, you know, they tried. Uh, you got some others that have done it, but it's like there's been so much control yes. over music. You know, yeah. literally cultures be manipulated by the people who run the radio stations that run the music industry you know, you talk about Black culture and you think Black culture, well, that was the rap from, you know, the 90s. It's like, no, the rap from the 90s was manufactured, was created specifically to create an image of Black people for Black people, you know, that became a problem. You know, and this wasn't driven by Black You saw the people who tried to take possession of the music and just tried to take it yeah. back. You know, and they weren't allowed to, you know, well, so right. this, we're still looking at the back and forth, but it's like most of the good counterculture music that we're seeing that's coming out. Nobody knows about It doesn't see the air unless somehow it goes viral like Anthony did.
3: Well, here's the thing. Oliver Anthony. For this, I do think he's an industry plant or planted or at least worked like to get where he was. I don't think it was a native viral success because he went on the record in an interview. He said that song, the Richmond or the Richmond, was the first time he had ever been recorded with an actual microphone and camera. Um, however, within twenty-four hours of that song hitting YouTube and getting to forty million views, he has a twelve song album fully out. Uh, that's that's at least two months of studio work Kyle can attest to, to put yeah, that out. it's that, a lot of work. That video was in the hands of every single right-wing influencer from Ben Shapiro to Dave Smith. In mm-hmm. within minutes of it dropping, it was staged. Like, there was a pre-release oh, yeah. in It's like, hey, we got this thing. We're dropping it. It's, it's like, it's that time of the election season. Things ah. are going to hit up. And then it was the first question in the presidential debate.
2: Was like, what oh, do you yeah. feel about this? Ah, uh, you know what? That when you put it that way, and that kind of slipped by me because I watched a Republican debate, yeah. and I didn't even like they, they said that. But now that you say that, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and that he's on Joe Rogan, you know, yeah. no, no less, literally today. So I, there's no other way that it things don't organize like that fast. Um, I, I think a lot of people want to believe in like the superhero story in this kind of situation, but sure. it, it's oh, just yeah, not yeah. that.
5: We do, yeah. you know. But, but like, again, one of those things. You, Justin, you talked about him being a plant, being an organized. Now, the thing is, is, we. I'm not saying he's not honest. genuine. I'm I'm not yeah. saying he's, well, not yeah, he's genuine, but from a perspective, you know, this doesn't have the timelessness.
3: No, but you know, it What's
5: doesn't the- have the broader appeal. This what- isn't going to create a subculture.
3: What are the tim- are timeless? Like, look back. What are what are the actual timeless protest music? The timeless, like. Or, protests is that we've come up that we we know will never go away and it's always been from the left it's never been from the right because it's always been about like working well, people struggle against the power and and this one it might have some staying power but i mean it's already being parried at the, like it's not zombie by the cranberries it's no. it's not it's not credence and Fortunate son it's it's uh it's not even it's not even rage right not like <laughs> Like the, I mean, that's
5: so it's hard. sad. It's it's this low anger. This you know can't quite go victimhood with it, but it's you know it's, it's like-
3: also okay. it's not a personal like something to relate to. Like like Zombie by the Cranberries is one of my all time favorite protests. Oh, yeah. ever done, it. and it's timeless. It's so timeless that when Bad Wolves did a cover of it, they tried to update it. They changed. One word in the entire song. And it was because when she wrote the song originally to make it work, she just repeated the word bombs twice in a lyric. They're like, oh, we'll just change one to drones. And it works still. They just updated it for 2021. Yeah, 2018. 2018. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is still timeless. Mm. Like, they didn't have to change a single goddamn word because a song that was written about the Irish people's struggles against British military occupation and ongoing state of war through the 60s, 70s, and 80s is still relevant in to uh, 2020.
4: Well, it's
5: relevant against the new empire that you know the sun never sets on their flag. You know, uh, 60s, 70s, you still had British Empire global. Yeah, here it is in the 2000s, you know, we have an American flag station so many places around the globe, you know, being held there by military troops. But Coming
3: the- to an end, Joe, did you not see what the Deputy Secretary of Defense tweeted today? Uh, oh, no. no, I
5: have not. What What do you do? Oh, uh, she tweeted
3: about her address at West Point. She went to West Point to address the future leaders of the United States Army today about how the real war of the future is against climate change because we can't train for joint operations with our allies if the base is flooded. We can't we can't keep that installation running in a drought. Not like we don't have 20 years experience in desert warfare. But let's just say the United States Army has given up on training for suboptimal conditions and if the future of the united states army is waiting for the perfect day to fight then the empire really has begun to fall and i'm saying that with joyous glee as an army veteran
5: (laughs) well absolutely you know and i recognize that you know uh my son ships off for the air force here on september 8th my youngest daughter uh just asked me to sign the waiver so she could talk to a marine recruiter at 17. I'm like, you know, they're going to find some nice coach jobs because they're smart kids. They're going to be far enough back from the lines. But I mean, still, they're in the service. They're wearing a uniform. They put a target on their back. These are my kids. You know, and part of me feels like I failed because that's the choice they decided to make looking for a future out of, you know, they went with poverty graph that was their best option moving forward
2: so, <laughs> what you got to do yeah. what you got to do is drop um an up
3: armored lithium-ion battery into a firefight <laughs> that's what the cyber truck is i swear to God i want the cyber truck and like there's no way in my hell i can afford a cyber truck mm-hmm. can't put afford oh, well okay i'll tell you what. like deposit so, to, to try and get one but when we I first started on that design yeah. yeah when i first saw the design for that cyber truck come out the The angle had the right angles, the right profile, the right shape. I'm like, this is a failed military bid. Like, he pitched (laughs) this to the army as a fucking
5: vehicle. Well, it was designed to be bulletproof, right? Right up until, yeah. I mean, he tapped the window, oops. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, no, the the thing is, is could you imagine going into one of the, you know, one of those coastal countries like Saudi Arabia, you know, United Arab Emirates, someplace where there's salt water freaking everywhere? and driving one of those things, lithium ions. And, you know, this isn't (laughs) your standard car battery going into the ocean. This is a lithium ion battery hitting.
2: Well, and the other thing is, is that those batteries, um, batteries actually are very, very sensitive to heat. So like the hotter an environment that a battery's in, the um, less life it actually has. Um, and we're starting to now get, because I work for a GM dealership, we have the Cadillac Lyric, which is a fully electric um, Cadillac. And yeah. they're actually kind of reasonably priced. Now, it's going to sound like a lot of money, but like $64,000 for a fully electric Cadillac SUV. I think yeah. that's actually pretty damn good for a Cadillac sure. SUV. Yeah, fully electric. The, and I've driven the, them. But they uh, fucking pull. They haul ass. They're actually a, fucking a cool friend ass.
3: of mine has a Rivian, and that thing is just sex on wheels. Um, and she fucking loves it. Like it just yeah. fucking hauls with it. But like, it, here's the thing: I was I, I spend way too much time on TikTok. I'll be the first to admit it. I fucking love the platform. The Chinese are good for one thing, and it's writing a good algorithm. Um, <laughs> but I. I stumbled upon a TikTok and I was watching it. It was an environmental scientist. This whole channel is all about like follow science, wear your mask, get your vaccine, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that he just goes on a rant about how horrible of an idea all these electric vehicle <laughs> mandates are uh, because of the rate of lithium mining and the, the rate at which lithium is actually pulled from the earth right now in um, the number of operable lithium mines there are on the planet right now there is not enough lithium being produced to create enough battery capacity just to meet California's uh demand for their 2035 mandate yeah well you know
4: they're, they're, that, never mind
3: right? Europe right
5: you know how they're getting around that right
3: they're China's buying Afghanistan from the Taliban in exchange for protecting their new poppy fields
5: well in a right. sense that yeah but the thing is is everybody's all the city leaders right now, Democrats, Republicans alike, yep. they're trying to shift to a new standard for the cars. Okay, they're going for the thirty five mile an hour neighborhood electric vehicle.
2: Well, they're also trying to adjust the cafe standards up. So one thing I actually oh. talked about when I did the Twitter space last night was, um, they're trying to reduce emissions at all costs. So like one of the things they did is actually converted over from, um, you guys might remember some of the old refrigerant being like R12 back in the nineties. Wow. And then up in the late nineties, they went over to tw- or, um R134. So once they went from R12 to R134, those had what's called a, a global or global warming potential rating. Um, <laughs> R12 was rated at about 10,000, Right r134 was rated about 1000 now they've moved on to and this is been since about 2012 i think gm the first domestic vehicle was a 2012 Cadillac escalade with 1234 yf and that's the newest refrigerant is a 1234 yf and uh, that has a global warming potential rating of like two or three but this stuff like in order to do like let's say you come into my shop with like an acadia with front and rear ac it is almost 500 to get your vehicle diagnosed for an ac leak so they're trying to pull missions in that respect so like this stuff is less um it doesn't emit as much emissions and then also they remove the new car smell from cars so what they found yes i'm not even kidding what they would do is they would leave a brand new vehicle sit in a room all by itself after doing like the uh, i think it's called like the 2040 testing where they simulate a drive through california to measure like the gas mileage the performance of the vehicle and the emissions that come off of it they leave the vehicle sit after doing this in a room for like two days and they measure all the emissions that come off like the paint the plastic and everything and what they found is that that new car smell emitted enough emissions that they could reduce that by taking the new car smell out so that was another way they got you on a mission so believe me they're and this i learned about this like 10 years ago so you have to imagine they're still fucking chugging along ahead at this point
3: so the worst part of all this climate change shit is that it's become a cult on both sides you kiss yeah. up Oh, yeah. You saw Vivek. You saw Vivek megaswami on stage during the vice president debate, <laughs> raising hands, <him, laughs> saying climate change one. is a hoax. It's absolutely the climate change agenda. The climate yeah, change agenda. Fucking it's absolute agenda. Hoax, Fucking to. Yeah. But then You do have the agendaists who like this is the next thing. Like, they're like, exactly. They have to lock you down with COVID. They're going to bring Greta back out of retirement next year. Like, like <laughs> this is their next thing. Like. Unfortunately, like it, what science is, it's not a reproducible. We don't have a second Earth. We can't run a controlled no, Earth. We don't know that what we're putting under the Earth, we can, you will never, ever be able to prove that any climate change is man-made or man-caused. You can prove the climate is changing, but we can also see a record of climate changing in these spikes and dips for tens of thousands of years throughout its history. Is what we're doing now bad? I don't know. But what I do know is that pollution is probably not great. So maybe we could all agree to maybe take some steps to reduce pollution and reduce putting unnatural things into the environment and doing things like destroying coral reefs and building plastic islands in the middle of the ocean and getting to the point where we need air quality warnings on the morning news. But we can't have those discussions because people have divided this cult line between it's we have to do absolutely everything right now or it's faking gay and don't listen to them
5: yeah right well, the interesting thing is we start to look at that culture divide the culture between urban and suburban and rural okay now we all recognize that urban culture have you know it happens to result in the most human change simply because we got millions of people crammed into very small areas right. and you're starting to see this push for uh smaller transportation in the cities. Like I said, the neighborhood electric vehicles, you know, they're going through the process of saying, okay, we can't keep selling Suburbans to everybody.
2: Not everybody can own an F-150 with a big old V8.
5: Especially electric Suburbans. You know, (laughs) the size of battery you need to put, we can't come up with enough lithium to keep creating electric Suburbans. So they got to shrink the size of the vehicles. Yeah, so now you got these little neighborhood electric vehicles that they're making street legal so that everybody can toodle around town at 35 miles an hour, which is interesting in Idaho because you got the suburban culture. You got everybody driving around in their F 150s, and they're going to be driving on the same streets as these little 35 mile per hour.
3: Yeah, well, here's my question When did suburban culture get to the point where we needed an F 150 super duty? Like, look, 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 look our grandparents. It's our, luxury. Our it grandparents is. built goddamn skyscrapers in New York off the equivalent of Ford Rangers and Chevy S tens. You don't need a goddamn two fifty Super Duty with the fucking plow pack. No, dude. Most of these people are throwing, to- yeah, they're throwing
2: tonneau covers on the back of it. They have big old mirrors on it. So sure, what, what do they that do we like. <laughs> 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 <And then> they put
5: <laughs> <throw around laughs> a coal burner on top of it, yeah, you know, so they burn coal <laughs> as they're
4: driving through. Yeah,
3: yeah, the- shoes, it's like, <laughs> I'm rolling coal. But, but look, like yeah, the Japanese, yeah. the, the most popular truck in Japan is a little fucking two-seater that's 10 feet long end-to-end, end, and they're building skyscrapers. with that as their working vehicle. That's the working vehicle law of all of Korea and China, and they're outpacing us on industrial and manufacturing level and getting shit done. We're distracted by big and shiny, and we don't need it. And I'm, I'm not going to throw out numbers or cite anything because I can't remember the exact numbers or where I cited this, but I swear to God I read something that it had to do with acceptable admission standards – having to do with the size of the wheelbase and by making the truck bigger they could escape the regulations that the uh, they were putting back so like oh we want to put a more powerful or more fuel efficient engine we need to make a bigger wheelbase so let's just make the F50 bigger all you need is a goddamn Ranger or s ten, an mm-hmm. and those trucks last forever well, I do remember seeing a project even
5: bigger than the Rangers from when I was a kid yeah, the Ranger Raptor. Oh, well, my but like, just picked up a 2018 Ford Ranger. And, they, I'm looking at that and that's, that's twice the size of the Ranger when I was 18.
3: I remember 10 years ago, there was an open source design and construction project where they put out a thing. They're like, hey, here's a $10,000 prize if you can come up with a design for a functioning incubator for a premature infant using only parts from a Ford Ranger. Why? Because they were shipping that design to Africa because all of these poor villages and even the cities in Africa in war torn Africa, they can't afford a $100,000 incubator for their hospital. But for some reason, every dumb fuck illiterate who owns nothing but an AR15 and a Ford Ranger can keep it running for 30 years on that continent. And they did it. They built a working incubator that could save babies' lives just using the headlamp constructs from a Fucking Ford Ranger. You don't need a super duty. I'm sorry.
5: So necessity is another of
4: all is well,
5: But that's one of the things. The Model T Ford. That was the go-to forever for the farms. Because you churn the butter with it. You milk cows with it. Right. You know, you process the grain with it. You turn the wheat to flour with it. You know, that little friggin' Model T Ford with a little belt on the back wheel. You know, the sh- everybody had one mm-hmm. and it was universal cuz all the parts were interchangeable
2: mm-hmm. yeah so one thing that um a, a lot of the right wingers want to talk about you brought up Vivek um <laughs> when they talk about the uh, climate change stuff they always bring up oh well what about china's emissions and china's uh, pollution yeah. well you have to remember that they have a billion people who are actually productive over there <laughs> and <laughs> therefore are they, the they are, they're going That's to make right. a lot
5: of jobs over there <laughs>
3: protection aside, <laughs> talking about China, talking about Africa, the biggest consumers of fossil fuel per capita right now isn't China it's Africa, but how fucking racist is it for white privileged Americans to tell these developing countries that they're not allowed to use the cheap and readily accessible fuel that they have access to, to build their economy to the point that they can compete and hold standard with us, we did it, we got to where we are on the backbones yeah. of dead dinosaurs not
5: well, it's because the they're using dinosaurs. Chinese
2: roads and Chinese Whoa. money, they I mean-
5: and the scary thing about that is we literally had biofuels before uh, Rockefeller friggin went to US legislature and made all that stuff illegal. We were running engines on alcohol. Mm-hmm. You know, the bootleggers, they were running out of gas, you know, they had conversions, you know, turn around, take the stuff from the still, put it in the gas tank, boom, it would still go.
3: And then you got a NASCAR contract.
5: Yeah. <laughs> that's how we got nascar yeah <laughs> yeah you yeah, know yeah. the thing is we've done all of this before we know how to go back to bare bones we understand because we've been there or at least some of us have been there we got a generation now that's so far removed from the farm you know we got kids out on the street right now that don't know where their food comes from
3: they come yeah. from hannaford's or whole whole paychecks
5: yeah, yes. Hannah. Yeah,
4: Hannah's. <laughs> Old Paycheck's. That's a new one.
5: Yeah. Why are you killing animals? You can just buy hamburger at the counter.
4: <laughs> yeah. Just mean, poke a little
3: bit more because Francis tastes better. <laughs> you got to give the animals a name.
5: All right. Scratch fed. Uh, <laughs> I always say Peppa
2: Pig if it's bacon.
3: I was trying to do this. Um, I have some friends that run a farm, and uh, I was trying to convince their kids to name the pigs, uh, bacon,
5: pork, and ham, and that did not go over well. <laughs> Crispy bacon, it's your little, uh, you know, pet pig named Crispy. Right. Uh, yeah.
2: I gotta say, I had an eighth grade teacher who, um, when he would talk about math, he he would always like to use the example of killing animals. And I remember him saying that, <laughs> "Oh yeah, I, I was fucking, I four years, so I was fifteen years old. I remember him saying, yeah, I love animals. All right, I love them cooked, barbecued, grilled, you name it.'
3: <laughs> he said parents would call and bitching about him. Like I, I actually kind of like this guy. He's pretty cool. <laughs> like that's the other thing. When parents calling bitching about kids like have you." That teacher that was throwing a fit about the patch, the um the gasic the flag, yeah. Dude, it, when, when Jared Polis has to chime in and say, No, you've gotten too woke. You know you've gotten too woke. When the gay democrat governor of the state has to get involved and say, What the fuck are you talking about? That's not racist. You've gone too fucking far. Mm-hmm. I remember, I swear to God, my freshman when I was in high school, I remember I remember the date, it was October 10th. 2003 i will never fucking forget this. It was because it was the 10-year anniversary of the battle of mogadishu black hawk down movie uh my history teacher was a retired army ranger 73rd ranger regiment he was in mogadishu never fucking talked about it brought it up like except till that fucking day he walked into class in his full dress green uh army uniform mm. got badges out the ass everything and we were a rowdy class of high schoolers and he just says all right it's been ten years since I killed anybody. Which one of you stupid fucks wants to push your luck today? That was the best behaved class for the rest of the year. He'd be fired in an instant today. And oh, like yeah. I oh, I just got yeah. in touch with him. He is retired now from teaching and he writes children's books.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> My <laughs> kind of guy it sounds yeah. like Jesus. Well like what did teachers get so soft that they can't make jokes about killing animals and feeding yourself to do your math lesson or threaten students for misbehaving?
5: I blame 1980. 1980. This is- we went to, you know, the federal uh, cabinet office of indoctrination you know, and <laughs> so in, uh, education became a cabinet and we had a secretary that was the death snow of it. Because from there, everything, you know, we started seeing you know, kids that were going to grow up and work in factories were getting the exact same education as kids were going to grow up and work on the farm. And it's like, I know these kids need they need an education that will teach them to succeed in the communities they grow up in. OK. There aren't any auto factories or auto unions in my country, you know there are you know farms in coal country you sure. know, but like you need uh, for the kids
3: i actually had, I had a discussion exactly about this with a friend yesterday just out of the blue random and it started as a joke because he signed a youtube video of somebody walking into a walmart in alabama um and just going up to everybody randomly in the walmart and saying are you married to your cousin and it only took him like three tries to find somebody who said yes and like I started to think about them, I'm like trying to rationalize this. Like it, this can't just be Alabama, Alabama. It's like an old world thing like and the more i thought about it the more i realized it's the same reason i don't respect a lot of anarchist philosophy i say this as an anarchist but like why should we take cues on how to run society from people who died before the internet was ever a thought they don't like no no anarchist philosopher that we're basing our philosophy off of ever envisioned a world that was interconnected and intercommunicative as we have today but the reality is for a lot of these like poor towns and appalachia especially the mining country like there was a point in time where a man would die of old age on the third floor bedroom of the house his great grandfather built with his own hands, and nobody in that family had ever left that county. Like cousin, oh, just yeah. neighbor at one point. Like, well, if, it, realized, if it weren't yeah. for World War two yeah, if it weren't for World War II, the Korean War, and Vietnam, a lot of these kids would have never gotten the chance to leave those counties. Up until that point, either. So, like, do we live in that same world as we used to back then? Absolutely. All the education you needed, in mining country, you got in mining country. But like, we don't live in that world anymore. Like, we've we globalized.
5: Time,
4: yeah, we
5: still sort of do. Because seventy percent of Americans are still going to die within fifty miles of where they grew up. You know, they're not going to leave their hometown. Home. They're not going to leave where they were born. They're going to keep coming back. You've got your prodigal sons all over the place, whether they join the military or not. You know, 70% of them are going to die within 50 miles of where they grew up. You know, so set them up for success in the community based on what's going on in that country or in that county. You know, you, you want kids to be able to be successful where they want to live, where they want to Sure,
3: absolutely. I get that. And I'm never going to argue against the localization of education and whatnot because that's everything we pride for. Most of my friends homeschool their kids. Like, it's a community that matters more than the Board of Education. The Federal Department of Education needs to be abolished because top-down standards don't work. But, like, I still think back. Again, I'm going to circle right back to art and media. One of my favorite films, uh, October Sky. What about the kids who want to get out? How do you give them a chance? Oh yeah, it, you know it's kind of tough. And
2: my wife and I kind of talked about this because we we're going to move to Florida about two oh years God. ago. And um, you know, if, if you go from a state like Pennsylvania where real estate is dirt cheap to a state like Florida <laughs> where real estate starting to get more expensive, it's hard to you know sell a house like I have for less than six figures and move to a house down in Florida that is in the six figures easy yeah. like your economic mobility oh, right, yeah. from places like where i live it's it's very very difficult and like don't get me wrong i still make good money for you know what i do and i'd make good money down there but still there's like that getting from here to there is the big struggle without having ass loads of cash sitting in the bank
3: i had a, a lot a, of people do i, I had it off the, off the cuff a friend of mine up here in new hampshire looked a tiktok came across and it was a girl Complaining about how difficult it was to make ends meet and how she'd been getting by fine on $15 an hour and I'm like with her like $600 for rent, blah, 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 blah. Like, Where the hell can you anybody rent something for $600 a month? I'm like Pittsburgh
5: like dude. <laughs> I, dude i had a garage, <laughs> well, yeah, I had a garage. Like neighborhood she's living in in pittsburgh yeah i'm like well, dude not I,
3: here not in new hampshire six hundred dollars yeah. won't get you a couch but pittsburgh like i like i pulled up Zillow. i'm like here look a one bedroom for 700.
5: yeah i mean
2: i lived in a garage apartment literally a block away from here for 4.95 a month and paid like two bills and i i had yeah. two bedrooms a nice bathroom a whole downstairs and a garage i could put my car in for fucking probably $700 a month. I mean, granted this was about eight years ago, but like the house I live in now, my mortgage is $700 a month for a three bedroom, three floor, three car garage out back, one and a half car on the bottom, not a huge yard, but a decent enough yard that my dogs, yep. when I let them out, they can run around a little bit like all that for under a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, but once again, if I want to move somewhere, I'm not going to get anywhere near the same quality yeah. of house. And any other state or at least none that i could think of not,
3: not outside that. the midwest maybe ohio or like kentucky or tennessee or something but again it's like your economic mobility is limiting you to appalachia and kind of coal country and manufacturing country like in pittsburgh and western pennsylvania you got a, a little bit of manufacturing to hold up those cities uh you mm-hmm. still got like what one or two functioning mills <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like, there's there's right. one
2: actually in the town that i grew up in i remember when they tore down the old mill I, i'll never forget because like this town was like two whole blocks right so you could stand on like the way other end of the block of like the two blocks and you all you would see is the mill standing up super high and i remember when they tore it all down it's yeah it just reminded me of like a doomsday kind of scene. Cause it was so like blank and bare and then they put a new mill back up and then it, it just kind of had that same vibe again. But yeah, there was a giant steel mill town. And then even like the town that I live in now, Vandergrift, it was, I think they said it was the first worker built town in all of America and there's a mill right over the hill from me.
3: So yeah, but that's what it was. Like that, that area of the country was built by union mine workers and union mill workers, and everything was built to their standards of what they could afford. I'm up here in New England, oh, boy, it was, it was all built, all built by, by landlords. By it
5: was built by unions who had to fight company towns. Yeah. yeah. Because it was, you know, working for the company store. You know, that, that's another one that's about to start coming back. Now that we start, you know, we're bringing back company town, you know, Metas building towns around I got I got in an
3: argument with um again I am terrible with names this is uh, she's uh one of the uh, a lady from Fee and she's a sweetheart super nice she writes about school choice a lot and she she's like brilliant but I got in a huge argument with her once when she posted an article about like the future of education being company sponsored learning pods I'm like so now you're going to tie your children's education like we we're already tying your health care to your employer. Now you want to try your children's educational benefits to your employer. And then you're talking about like the employer sponsored residences as well. I'm like this is a fucking company town at which point are what? like, sure you're being compensated. You're getting a salary, but you're a slave because you can't leave because the salary is not what's keeping you there. It's your children's it's education. Benefits. It's your children's, children's social welfare. education,
5: your housing, your medical care, <laughs> you know, everything's owned by the company again, you know? And it's like, you're just a slave that's been told they can vote for who rules them yeah like the john plantation being plantation for so. uh, yeah,
2: dodge first ford motor company uh, richard nixon and the right to work destroyed american industrial supremacy and uh ID got messed or got so messed up from the influx of CA moved from there only to get a worse area affected by CA and AZ. <laughs> I feel like that's probably happened in Texas too, because I remember even like a couple of oh years my. ago, everybody's saying they're moving to Texas from California. So I may not have to imagine that some of those areas down in Texas are probably getting like, it's destroyed. our biggest fear.
3: Our biggest fear in New Hampshire is mass coming over the border. Uh, <laughs> me and Bill Barger went to our sky show. You that's got Massachusetts, Massachusetts there. So
5: that's going to happen anyway.
3: well, uh, well like we we went, we were interviewing people left and right, and we'd start off a gimmick like do you think we should split Manchester into two cities? Well, like we should build a wall on the river to separate East and West Manchester. It's like, okay, how about building a wall on the Massachusetts border? And then people were like, you know what, maybe like that one, like maybe we should keep the mass holes out. <laughs> like we have signs in Nashville. It's like, welcome to New Hampshire the end of a new side New Hampshire. Like it signs in French Spanish, and then it's like, don't mass it up. <laughs> like right there, right behind it. It's like that's our big fear. But like we went from like what's it, it's it been like six years from when Texas was a guaranteed deep red state to all of a sudden Beto O'Rourke has a chance.
4: Well, yeah, so I didn't even think
3: about that. But yeah, the
5: thing is, is what else mentioned there about Idaho, you know, getting messed yeah. up because we had two types of Californians. that have been OK, we had the liberal Californians that were still looking for someplace cheap that they could afford after they got rich off of, you know. Dot com busted dot yep. you know and other things they made their money they moved where it was cheap prices went up on everything. the other people we have coming here are the c- 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 californians <laughs> you know with the um <laughs> which is the truth you know we ended up with a bunch of christian nationalists and dominionists under the world rapture you know seven mountains holy rollers
2: let me guess are, everything's revelations
5: Oh, dude! <laughs> yeah, you know, them- we need to hurry up and bring on the end times. By you know, and it's like I- one of the weirdest things because you got Christians that are deliberately making life miserable for
4: people.
3: Joe, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a pitch here. You might not like it, but we need to get you out to New Hampshire as soon as possible because we're gonna just seed Idaho to these people. Like I, I, if you go deep enough, if you look up Free State Project and you go. Deep Deep enough into the YouTube and the Google yeah. search, which I've done because I like like see what's being written about us. You eventually find the Free State Project of Idaho, which is an explicitly white nationalist, Christian nationalist movement to get, et, uh, ethno neo Nazis to move to Idaho, uh, to colonize mm-hmm. Idaho. Like they're open about what they're doing. Oh And yeah. here's the thing: I think they deserve a homeland too. Idaho can be their Israel, but we need y'all to come here. <laughs> to New Hampshire, to build the Libertarian entry. Mm-hmm.
5: You know, and the thing is, is we did that once. You know, we had the Aryan Nation compound up in Hayden. Right? Lake. <laughs> it's like as long as they stay <laughs> in the same place, wasn't a problem because they had their nice little covenant commune and they did whatever they did, you know, and nobody yeah. needed to know. Yeah. Is when they started exporting all that violence off of the compound into town and into the communities, that's the problem we're having here in Idaho right
3: that's now. That's when you shoot back.
5: Yeah. yeah. I mean, you All could just like. And they're forcing out the residents. I mean, it's straight up recolonization again. You know, mm-hmm. the invaders are coming in and they've decided that they want what they want. No,
3: it's not colonization dead. anymore. It's gentrification.
5: Gentrification.
3: Use your proper That's terminology.
2: <laughs> yeah, just, just leave the Nazis burn some crosses in their yard up the road. As long as they're not harming anybody, just makes a little bit of smoke and leave them be. <laughs> you know, yeah. don't, don't get the neighborhood person. What well,
5: is on so. their fe- on their side of the fence? You what? Yeah. Whatever, guys.
3: You, Listen,
2: you, you
5: want to get guys.
3: rid of want to get rid of the want to get rid of the poor Nazis? Build a Starbucks. <laughs> 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 be a lot of traffic. You'll get a different kind of racist, but
5: (laughs) that's all right. All we need to do is let let uh, you know fentanyl into the compound, and that'll be taken care of in short order.
2: Yeah, Jesus Christ. Well, you know what? Now the Republicans are all about that, and I mean, I've touched on that decent bit. I mean, like some of the numbers are thrown out there. I don't know where they're picking up these numbers of saying 300 people a day. Um, All the numbers I look at, yeah, it seems very high, actually. (laughs) Um, I don't even think there were that many people in the, you know, in the state at the time, but um no, I, I think that some of the numbers I found, I, I think it was like 176 a day or like 150 or something like that, which don't get me wrong. One is still too many, but like, you know, the Republicans are all about the fucking drug war again. I'm like, really?
3: We're going to try like 1982 again. It was like one. Yeah. The Republicans are retarded. The drug war is never going to be won. You're never going to win that fight. But like, yeah. The pullout of Afghanistan is kind of responsible for this. Now, the invasion of Afghanistan was largely responsible for the upswing in the heroin epidemic. Like, you make readily available poppy in the largest poppy growing region of the world, now guarded by the U.S. military to supply Purdue farmer to push MS cotton all over Appalachia. Yeah, you get a fucking epidemic. But then you pull out. And the taliban takes over and they uh re-illegalize growing poppy and start executing anyone they catch making her- uh heroin and now there's no more import stream from afghanistan to the united states for heroin which was the largest import stream in uh the world what are they going to fill it with the well fentanyl's freaking really easy to make really cheap to make packs a way bigger punch easier to ship. And it's marginally safer to handle and to distribute. And I, like, I don't know if you've ever had it in a medical setting. I have been in a medical setting where I've been given fentanyl. And I, I was in the worst pain of my life. I had multiple broken ribs, internal bleeding, uh, collapsing lung. Like, it was bad accident. Uh, and I doctor's like, I'm going to give you a fentanyl drip. And I watched him press that drip button and felt the warm go up my arm and down my body. And the first thing I thought of was like, oh. That's why people do heroin. Like, I get it now. Like Oh, yeah. It just, people aren't looking for heroin anymore. They're looking for fentanyl. It's not a problem of the fe- heroin being dosed and cut with fentanyl. It's a problem with the demand is now just seeking fentanyl because it's a better and cleaner high. Mm-hmm.
5: Jesus. But it's still street, so your quality right. sucks. Yeah you yeah, know and, and that's why we end up with ods all the time you know right
3: and like i hate to say it like we one one thing i will account to a failure of libertarian policy one of the first successes the free state project had in new hampshire early early on after we got rid of knife laws was one of our democrat state reps a Free Stater who ran for office as a democrat uh, got a bunch of harm reduction uh, reduction bills passed, got a needle exchange program passed, uh, started uh, pushing for decrim of these things to help addicts. And what has led to is enablement. We're not helping anyone. We're not. We're seeing. I, I, I follow the needle on my off time. I'm trying to make a little short film about the homeless ec- uh, uh, epidemic and the industrial complexes surrounding it. I followed this needle exchange van around Manchester, New Hampshire the other day. I watched them just handing out needles. They're not collecting any. They're just handing them out. They're enabling these people. And was the same fucking people. But the shelter's only open until 6 p.m. Monday through Friday, they're not actually helping anyone get off the street. They're not right. actually helping anybody get clean. They're not actually trying to find the source of these drugs. They're not helping anybody test them for cleanliness. They're not helping anyone do them in a safe or responsible manner. They're just saying, all right, harm reduction means like you're allowed to kill yourself on the sidewalk you're homesteading now. And it's, mm. it's been an actual failure <laughs> of libertarian ballast, in my mind.
5: Yeah, well, in, but that's the same problem they're having in Portland and Seattle right now is because they went with the decriminalization, but they didn't authorize education and or safe means. You know, you, we have no shortage of nonprofit organizations. They're willing to go into areas and teach safe use, educate people on why it's bad in the first place, you know, work on getting people off the street so they stop seeking escapes, you know. But if you don't do that in the way Portugal did it, you end up with shit storms like Portland, where literally nobody knows, nobody knows how to get out of the cycle. So all they know how to do is repeat the cycle and they're handing them the keys to keep the cycle going.
3: Well, and they're also incentivized to do it. It's, it's a system of perverse incentives because all of these nonprofits are being funded by grants from tax money in the federal government who fund them based on the number of people they're taking care of. Not based on the number of people that they're getting off the streets, but the number of beds they have filled every night. They're incentive. Mm-hmm. And when you actually break down, one of the ones I'm trying to investigate is New Horizons. They're a food bank oh, here in Manchester, yeah. in New Hampshire, that has over 60% of their grant revenue going Goes to payroll, not to services to help the but to payroll for all of these liberal arts social services majors do all they have to do is work for a nonprofit for five years while making minimum payments on their student loans for the federal government to come in and say, Oh, you did federal service and wipe out their student loan balance. This is a redistribution ah. to the educated class and laundering money through the guise of a nonprofit, all at the expense. Of the working poor. Because you know who doesn't get help at the food bank? The single father who's working 9 to 5 to try and keep a roof over his kid's head. You know who doesn't get help at the shelter? The kid who's actually working at that fast food joint to try and save up money to get off the street because his shift runs till 6.30 and he wasn't there to check in by curfew. They're not helping people. They're enabling the people who don't want help and hurting the people who need it.
5: You know, New Horizons is one of those that's like that because they're using federal money federal money has specific requirements. Nobody can spend 24 hours in a facility. You have to kick them out at seven o'clock in the morning. You've got to check them in at five o'clock in the evening. Okay. That means that you, there's this you can't window help them. where you, you can't help them, you know, which means they're destabilized. They got to find someplace else right. to store their stuff. They don't have a door they can lock, okay. Now they've been working on some things, SHIP, which is for uh, veterans, has been working on veteran housing where the affordable housing you know fair clock act went and terminated the ability of states and cities to do the affordable house you know run their own uh low-income housing Mm -hmm. you know and so we don't have low-income housing that the city can do to get homeless people off the street anymore but they started creating other organizations like ship and some others that are trying to pick up the slack with specific groups because they're helping veterans or they're helping some other marginalized group. You know, they're not just helping the poor. Uh, So they found ways around the Faircloth Act to make sure that housing's been available. We got Ballard Point, which is a homeless shelter for veterans here in the state, but we keep running into that same problem. All of them have this mandatory threshold, which means low threshold uh, facilities like our interface sanctuary that we have here in Boise. You know, take anybody in, give them a place to stay, let them stay 24 hours. It has to be entirely privately funded because the second a federal dollar enters into that system, they got to go back to the old way of destabilizing, keeping them destabilized so that they continue to process and make the numbers so that the problem continues to exist. I had a buddy. Like you said, because I'm playing the homeless thing right now. Homelessness, its big business. It really is. You know, out in Idaho, states—you know—vultures wearing angel wings. No shit. Uh, but I'm playing that homeless thing right now. I got a job that works from eight to five. Okay. I can't hit a food bank because the food banks are open from nine to two. You know, by the time I'm off at five and I'm able to get down to the homeless shelter to try and get homeless—you know—a bed for the night. Not that I ever want to. You know, my van's hooking me up pretty good right now. Uh, you know, I'm too late to get to the front of the line and make sure I got a bet, you know? So we keep running into this problem and I'm working and because I'm working, that cuts me out of a whole nother, you know, set of funding opportunities for nonprofit organizations.
4: Right. Sorry, you
5: make too much for the threshold. You're making 50,000 a year. Well, we're sorry that uh, the state's taking 20,000 of that, you know, because, you know, you got to back child support. that's pulling a grand out a month. and. Because your credit went south while COVID was on. Now that you're actually working again, and everybody
0: started collections again, you know. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok shop.
5: that part of your disposable, so it's like I'm not even, I don't even have enough disposable income right now to meet requirements for one-bedroom mm-hmm. apartment here. You know, so I'm working homeless, or
3: right. Yeah, but there's no money in helping you. Go ahead. It, it, that, that's the thing is it, it wouldn't take much to help someone in your situation, but there's no money in it for them to help somebody in that situation. And there's specific perversions. I don't see them out of it. About a decade ago, I had somebody a good friend Beck, a little more than decade. I was still in the army when this happened. I was not in the best position. I couldn't take anyone in. I couldn't, I didn't even have a couch for somebody to fucking crash on at the time, but I had a friend who was going through a real rough spot, getting jodied, divorced, suicidal, Caught him with fucking needles in his arm. Needed to get him into a shelter. And the whole, uh, the veteran shelter in Worcester, Massachusetts, wouldn't take him in because he had a car. Yeah. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> that was it. The, so
2: and, they, they essentially want you to sleep in your car then.
3: Sure. Which, you know, understand, yeah, if is you're limited on beds, that fault. is a, yeah, they would. If you sell your car, they'll go out of their way to make sure you have a bed for a week or 2 Mm-hmm.
4: They'll make it you pay for it it. your car. Yeah,
2: yeah,
5: and which means happen. now you're within you got to be within walking distance or mass transport transit of your work if you want to mm-hmm. stay employed.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. Yeah. So the one thing that my wife has always brought up because she's an EMT um, is like the Narcan stuff, where she says that she constantly sees people over and over the same, people, the same getting people getting Narcan. People. Yeah. yeah. We're like at a certain point, like I'm not, I'm completely against the death penalty, but like, well, I'm not against Darwinism. No, neither am I. If you're going to sit there and you're going to continue to shoot up, then why should taxpayers have to bail you out medically? If you're choosing to do this constantly, like if you get better, all the support for you. I'm sure you guys know Drew, the clean libertarian. I mean, he's a great dude and he does yeah. great harm reduction work. But like the idea of just constantly giving people their next shot of Narcan so that way they can, you know, be good for a day or two, get their fix and go back to being out.
3: I, I don't really have to support that. If, if it wasn't such a prolific problem, if we weren't dealing with actual yeah. an epidemic level proportions of need mm. of response uh, to opioid overdoses. Then my what I would say, I would say, like, sure, here's our harm reduction. We're going to open a fucking crack house. It's going to be across the street from the fucking fire department. If you OD in that crack house, we'll give you some Narcan. Anywhere else in the city, we can't afford to divert the resources. mm yeah, I mean,
2: who's gonna to want to go in there? Like, you're gonna see the worst of the worst. But like you said, the Darwinism: worst.
3: the people who are gonna yeah. go in there are people that you probably don't want in your city, anyways. Sure. Well, it the like we we've seen that we've seen the effects of like again competing uh, incentives. Yeah. When Massachusetts first started decrim of everything, and they're like, "We're fuck this." It was actually it was Lawrence and Methuen, Massachusetts. Now, now the fentanyl capital of North America, Lawrence, Massachusetts. By the way, everything runs through there. It, it ship to New York to Lawrence for distribution. Uh, but at one point. Uh, back when I still lived in Massachusetts, the police chief of Lawrence and Methuen came up together in a Trent press conference and said, we are no longer going to prosecute any drug-related charges. It's not worth our time. It's not worth our money. It, it costs us too much. There's no net positive. However, if you call 911 for an overdose, we will send an ambulance and no police cruiser. There will be no consequences. Um, what they saw was people were more willing to engage with the social services, the emergency services and the EMTs and lives were saved. And it led to people getting into treatment getting off the streets because they started to build a bridge of trust between the EMTs and the paramedics and the medical professionals right. and the addict community that it sprung up there. And then what happened was after six months of this, getting hundreds of people off the streets and into treatment programs because the police chief and Matthew established a scholarship program where he took their drug prosecution budget and put it into a scholarship for rehab. If anybody came forward and said, we want that, they got hundreds of people off the streets to saved tens of thousands of dollars of taxpayer money and prosecution costs. The DEA opened a field office and started running scanners. Anytime somebody called 911, it was a race. If the fucking local paramedics got there first, they got treatment. If the DEA got there first, they got arrested. The problem got uh, doubled down and got worse. Wow. The DEA in... In, in a half a year undid all of the positive harm reduction that had actually taken place. Jesus Christ. Fucking feds. Yeah. But it all came down to trust. It, it it was it was a rare instance of a public servant police officer coming up with a good idea that maybe just fucking maybe policing would work more effectively if there was trust between the community and the police. Mm-hmm. So
2: Jesus. Well, since we're at about an hour now, I want to pivot over to the Libertarian Party stuff. So, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> we were already
3: talking about a shit show. Let's just dive into something worse.
2: Oh, uh, <laughs> we we're talking about a crack house a second ago. So I don't know. It's pretty synonymous if you ask me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Joe, I know you were uh, running for Congress a couple years ago, right? And right. You kind of yeah, ran for Congress
5: twice. Uh, the second time I ran after Reno reset, uh, the guys who had uh, snaked leadership of the Idaho LP took over. They ran screaming, you know, straight to the guys to the Republican lobbyists, you know, and started crawling into bed with them and sucking their cocks. And it's like, fuck this shit. Uh, so I said, no, I'm not playing this game for you guys. I'm not using my credentials to recruit for your shitstorm. You know, fuck off, find somebody to replace me. You're going to lose ballot access. Um, they found somebody to replace me. I'm still waiting for fallout on that because he never fucking filed his FEC. Uh, you know, you know, he didn't make any money. So the filing would have been a null and void anyway, but, uh, you know, it's well, I don't still, think you're
3: actually required to file unless you expect to raise or spend more than $5,000.
5: And that's that's an interesting thing because some people expect you to file, just right. File, start, you know, send your update, say, nope, not five grand yet, not five grand yet, not but five grand yet. If you,
3: if you file a form one or a form two, like you'll get an email every quarter saying, if you haven't met the threshold, ignore this email. You don't even have to it, tell them you haven't raised anything uh, yet. You mm-hmm. just like, ignore it. Like I, I filed a fair bit of FEC forms in my time. It's not that hard to do, but like I, I don't think you're actually required to because it does say, like, like I just did one the other night, and it said you're not required to do this unless you expect to raise your special
2: dollars. Okay, so, 1.4. Joe, you – it sounds like you got kind of railroaded by the LPMC and I know Reed and I talked about this a little bit about how we're both kind of like, man, why is the LP going after Joe when like Joe's a good dude? But you know, I, I guess, I don't know. Are you not right wing enough? Do you not pander to right wingers? And I know people what? are going cringe or think I'm a progressive when I say that, but like, let's be honest here. The LPMC does completely pander to right
3: wingers.
5: They, well, they,
4: they, they
3: tried to cancel me and Reed for doing a show with Joe. And like that was the end of the BC Caucus liking me. Was that I was, well, I'm like, no, fuck you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh
5: not, a lot of it was was uh our vice chair. You know, he started showing up protesting pride events. You know, he showed up with the Christian nationalist protesting pride <laughs> events, you know, he showed up at uh, forced birth rallies, you know, holding the you know, aborted kids sign all chopped and diced and it's like dude where are you with this whole bodily autonomy thing you know we agree abortion's bad but it's not up to the state to decide that shit you know he's going no no there are things i want the state to do for me And it's like that ain't no no Well, you've accepted that standard.
3: You've accepted the standard of there are things we want the state to do for us if you've accepted participation with the Libertarian Party. Because, like, Karen Ann Harless can bitch all she wants with the Dallas Accord, saying that we're agnostic about the existence of the state. But the fact is we're participating in the state mechanisms to try and change the state mechanisms. I am an anarchist. I run on anarchist platforms. I talk about anarchist shit all the time. If I get involved in government, I have accepted the role of government to a degree once you've accepted the role of government to a degree then all of a sudden it's not a question of are you a forced birth extremist are you a pro-choice extremist can you go to these rallies whatnot the question is what's the official position of the party and are you there as the vice chair or as an individual
5: yeah oh, right that's yeah, the think... question i'd
3: have for him it's like are it's like are you going to these uh, and, like protest Planned Parenthood as an individual? Or are you going to hand out LP literature there and say you're with the Libertarian Party of Idaho? Well, that's not part of the platform.
5: Right. Yeah. But The thing is, is when he shows up on social media talking about who he is within the party, right. and then he goes out and presents himself in these positions, it's like, how do you separate the two?
3: I asked Dave yeah. Smith that question and he assures me it's natural. <laughs> he assures me that being the spokesperson for the party and him endorsing all the rabid Taiwan-loving Republican Israelites was totally different things. So right. to, uh, playing by
5: their rules, there should be a difference.
4: Right, As right.
3: Well,
5: you know, I looked at that and went, no, I, I, I turned towards anarchy. I want to be able to divest the government of power. You know, I want to give it back to the people. And I have people saying, no, I need the government to exist because I want them to enforce my moral judgments. I was
3: like, Whoa. that is the role of government. The is. reality is the reality is the role of government, should it exist, is to enforce a moral standard. Like, we can talk about how we think that the role of government should be the protection of life, liberty, and property, but what's that? That's a moral standard. And that's a moral standard that's up to a lot of interpretation and vagueness, life, liberty, and property. Like, are you gonna take the Walter Block approach that abortion is addictionism and is property rights at its most fundamental? Or are you gonna take uh, approaches to say the right to life supersedes another's right to property? That your right to your own body is superseded by the right to the life growing inside you, to a woman. Like, there's there's a lot of fucking nuance there. Oh, there is. is. There absolutely but, is. But we shouldn't be going down those fucking rabbit holes as a political entity or organization because it solves mm. nothing. So
2: right. also, and you're well, right. yeah. My my thought on this has always been that I am pro or uh, pro life, but um, I I recognize the struggle about this issue, and I don't think you're ever going to get a large consensus on this. So I you think.
4: Can't which
2: is the the most reasonable compromise in my mind would be like first trimester only. I think the vast majority of people will say that that's a reasonable standard. Um, and you'll, you'll make the most amount of people happy. Now, once again, if it was up to me, I'm pro-life as it gets, but I, I understand that you can have reasonable disagreements on this because people, they kind of come to their conclusion of like when life begins at a different point. But once again, this isn't for the government or anybody to decide. And when you start wanting to say like, we want the government
3: to decide that's, that's my whole point is it hmm. is for the government to decide. If you've accepted the role of a government, this is one of the things for the, to sure. and from the vice presidential debate the other night, this is what I'm calling it. It was a vice presidential debate. Um, <laughs> wait mean, a second. I gained a little bit of respect for fucking whatever his name, North Dakota guy. Um, was Doug Burgum, I think Yeah, his who name paid, was... paid his way to be on the stage. Uh, he he that, That'd be a hefty fine. Uh, no, no. He paid college students $20 for every $1 donation they recruited so he could get uh, to the $30,000. I heard donations. about that. Yeah. Ooh. Real, yeah. Well, he's <laughs> a billionaire. Year. Yeah, he's a tech billionaire. He sold a startup to freaking, uh, Microsoft in the 90s. Uh, uh, okay, so he's yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. Everyone else is like, ban abortion, ban abortion, ban abortion. Uh, Nikki Haley's like, wow, maybe like 10 weeks or something. We should ban abortion. And then Doug Brennan just reaches into his pocket, pulls out a copy of the Constitution and says, That Amendment, not up to us. Sorry, sucks. Mm -hmm. Let the states decide. But even that argument acknowledges that there's a role for a state to decide. And Texas, sure. Tennessee, New York, Massachusetts—they're all going to have different oh, explanations yeah. yeah. on where and when that is. And is that going to lead to cross-border
5: migration? Probably, probably more than cannabis does. It is, you know. And that's one of the things we got going on here in Idaho. Idaho has one of the most restrictive abortion laws, and our GOP legislature, our dominionists—bring on the end of the yeah. world rapture freaks—you know—who literally declared. Within the GOP party, the GOP party's position in the state of Idaho is death before abortion. <laughs> death before
3: abortion. Well, you yeah. just respond with what's the difference? But right. <laughs> well, yeah. But this they, is actually, I think, the heart one of the heart of the issues with the LPMC and what happened with the Libertarian Party is the is two things: it's the abortion plank and the bigotry plank comes back Mm -hmm. to those two things from the beginning and both of them from a thousand foot view looking down are 100% inconsequential and meaningless changes, but they were so fucking autistic about the way they went about doing it that they alienated and divided the entire party behind them. So, yeah. like, the abortion plank? I actually think the meeting's caucus was right. Getting rid of the abortion plank was the right thing to do because the Libertarian Party had a wishy-washy kind of fucking um, take Pro on choice. being yeah. pro-choice. I'm like, you were either explicitly pro-choice or you were leaving it up to that Plank at the end of the platform says if we didn't cover it, it doesn't mean we have a position. We might just have no position. We don't have a fucking position. You don't have to take a position saying you don't have a fucking position. That plank had to go. It was poorly written. It, it, it just it was a weak argument for it, it one needed time. to be
5: rewritten and it needed to be rewritten under, you know, natural law. It needed to be written, rewritten sure. under philosophy. But know, here's the it,
3: thing: I would have respected them more if they tried to replace it with a pro-life plank. Like, if your argument was that we aren't pro-choice, sure, replace it with a pro-life plank. But if your argument is we have no say whatsoever, delete the whole thing. Hundred percent.
4: Well, I mean, the thing is, is we
5: are the they were the Libertarian Party. To be Libertarian is to be pro-choice. As long as you sure. don't hurt or harm anybody else, to be Libertarian, and that's the history of the party.
3: From sure. the nineteen eighties, since the nineteen eighties, like up up in, like Gary Johnson might have been the first libertarian presidential candidate to run on a platform of something other than pro choice on everything.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Like from the Koch brothers in the 70s up to Gary Johnson 2012, if you look back, everything was branded pro choice on everything. Right. <laughs> like that was the party's history. But like, yeah, no, if you want to get rid of it, get rid of it. We have a fucking plank that says there are some things we don't take our positions on i respect not taking a position and i the original plank was stupid the bigotry plank here's the craziest part that was horribly worded too fucking the bigotry is a rational republic here's the crazy part the plank that was that was placed with in reno written by Spike Cohen, not by the Mises Caucus, is a way better plank, and is much stronger language in opposition to state systems of bigotry and racism. But... They made such a big stink in a fight about it that you got fucking gold wedge and fake retarins and still won't shut the fuck up about, will you say bigotry is irrational and repugnant? Will you say bigotry is irrational and repugnant? Will you say bigotry is irrational and repugnant? No, I won't. You know why? Because bigotry is incredibly rational. It makes a lot of sense when you understand why people fucking hate each other. It is repugnant, but guess what? People are allowed to be repugnant. You know who's not allowed to be repugnant? The state. Mm-hmm. no
2: they aren't right no. um so justin you seem to be one of the more vocal critics even of like the dave smith stuff now joe maybe your stuff just is a kind of my algorithm but like i it seemed like you were a little bit more just kind of like hey i'm going to do my thing and keep rocking and rolling as to where <laughs> um justin was very very vocal about his uh critiques from very, very, early on.
5: i had i had a lot of libertarian type things i was still doing I was still involved in the anti war thing. I was still uh, talking to, you know, bring our troops home and about defend the guard and doing things like that. I was very much involved in the legalization of medical marijuana here mm-hmm. in the state of Idaho. You know, and yeah, people give me shit. Why don't you just go full deep? Well, no, because people in Idaho are only prepared to go medical.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: You know, so we work with what the community.
3: We haven't gotten full the legalization right in New for. Hampshire. Yeah, We haven't been able to get full legalization in New Hampshire because we're too red. and We've had full decrim for like a fucking decade. Like, yeah. there's no way Idaho and Montana are ready for it.
5: Yeah, but it's one of those things. We take a look at the things and it's like 80%, 70% of the state will support a medical program. 40% will support recreational, which means it's not going to happen. Yeah, 80% will support personal use, you know, reduce it to an infraction, right? I'm a freaking ticket and call it good. You know, you can't sell it, but, you know, they're not carrying a lot. Let it go. Uh, So I still had the things I was doing. So for me, it was like, okay, you guys go play your games. I'll let you guys go do what you're going to do. I'm going to continue to focus on the anti-war effort. I'm going to continue to focus on medical marijuana. I'm going to continue to focus on reproductive rights because that's the community I'm involved in. I'm involved in people who need the ability to make medical necessary necess- medically necessary decisions based on information that the state will never and should never ever fucking have. And that's it. you know. Medic patient autonomy, medical choice. Do what you need to do based on the information you have at the time you need to make the decision. Because the state doesn't know what the fuck's going on with you.
3: Funnily, like like when the Idaho shit first started going south and they had their little fucking coup and schism and everything. Me and Joe actually had a conversation. I told him straight up, like, walk away, you're doing better work than them, just do it on your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been vocal within the Libertarian Party because like, as opposed to just walking away and doing it myself, because what's been going on in the Libertarian Party in the Macy has affected what I've been doing.
4: Mm-hmm. It hasn't
3: affected Joe. Joe's work is community based. He can keep sure. going and just fucking worry about Idaho. Right. I was, I served two terms on the LMC. I was a campaign manager for a statewide campaign. I'm one of the ballot access coordinators for all the fucking country. Like, I, I'm, I'm one of only three people who successfully run a statewide ballot access campaign in New Hampshire. Uh, and I've done it three times. The other two have only done it once each um so like like this stuff was actually affecting me and i had no choice but to be vocal the amount of times i've tried to walk away i got a group chat with reed and joe the amount of times like i've threatened like i'm gonna kill everyone and just fucking leave like (laughs) like something's gonna blow up like Like, unbelievably weekly i threatened to walk away i'm "I'm not doing this now there i have no involvement with lpnh whatsoever anymore at all except every once in a while some of them will say hey we have a funny idea for a video, and they'll tell me the idea for the video. i be like, all right, that's pretty funny. I'll edit it for you. Okay,
2: so like, <laughs> well, you're no longer involvement with LPNH. Um, that mm-hmm. isn't because of like the main guys, like you know, Reed, Jeremy, Eric. Um, well, I'm, I'm,
3: I'm good friends with all of them. Like, right. still, and no, though it's, it's it's because they we had different focus when I was involved in LPNH. And funny, this requires a long backup here, like. Joe, how long did it take you to get all of your movements off the ground and going? Like, how many how many years have you put into building what you do have going as an activist? And yeah, activist?
5: I mean, I'm still working on it. I'm still building the process. Yeah. I'm still doing the networking. When yeah, I moved, six years
3: yeah. When I moved to New Hampshire, the Libertarian Party in New Hampshire was four people who had their annual convention in a bar, and only two of them showed up. Mm-hmm. Right. Daryl Perry declared himself chair. <laughs> no. And here's the thing. I firmly believe there's a reason for this, having been here a decade and having like been involved in the LP and the Free State Project across multiple states with the LP. In, there's 49 states where your average libertarian activist has absolutely nothing but the Libertarian Party to support what they're doing, to help push what they're doing, and to like bring them together. Here in New Hampshire, the Libertarian Party is just the least effective of 100 different organizations trying to bring libertarians under their banner. So why waste time on it? I had this fanciful idea that it could be more, that Libertarian Party in New Hampshire could be a more effective tool, that it was an undertapped and underutilized resource. And I first actually got it involved with the Gary Johnson campaign in 2016 when they're like, oh, shit, we need to get them on the ballot in New Hampshire. And yeah. LPNH only collected 12 signatures. 12, not 1,200, 12. Uh-huh. It's like one, two was the number of signatures they collected uh, at an event at the bar. So I went and got 4,000 in a week and a half with my team. Mm-hmm. And we got Gary Johnson on the ballot and, and that's like at that point I started to help take over. I, I now take over. I have never held an officer's role. I have never chaired a committee. But I have been there every step of the way. I've made the phone calls. I've done the fundraising. Finished campaigns I have put together the coalitions I've lobbied on legislation I've written legislation I've been at the State House for every ballot access bill every election law bill I was on a first-name basis with the Secretary of State to try and help get shit through for them like mm-hmm. to the point where LPNH became the biggest affiliate per capita in the libertarian party we were doing things we were running campaigns we controlled the majority of a budget committee in the town abutting the largest city in the state with Libertarian Party members, we had multiple lifetime members of the LP elected, not as Libertarians, but as Republicans. We mm-hmm. had multiple people defect from their political parties, both Republican and Democrat, to form an actual Libertarian Party caucus in the state house, which gave us rights to introduce legislation and stuff like that. Like, we, we built something. And I thought we could continue to hone this tool to be something to help the free state movement grip better because we have organizations like the new hampshire liberty alliance which does the lion's share of all of the work they are the driving force behind the liberty movement here in the free Mm -hmm. state Uh, they need help like (laughs) like there are things they can't do because of their nonprofit status and their PAC status like there's a lane for a political party to do Mm -hmm. And I wanted to try and engage that the Mises caucus had a different idea. They liked memes, funny videos and viral campaigns.
5: Mm -hmm. That was one of the things about the whole uh, Reno reset thing was we had a bunch of nobodies who came in who wanted to take over the party and literally they chased out people who had more cred in their personal, you know, social media accounts and their personal community, you know, efforts, the people they knew, the networking that had already been established. Yeah, they literally chased out the people they needed Mm -hmm. to succeed. Yeah. Now, yeah. Well, here's the thing. uh, Okay,
2: so, real quick, uh, what would you say is a position that Mises Caucus has that is a right winger? Um,
3: Here's a better question. Here's a better question. Ask your average Mises Caucus member what their favorite book by Mises is. (laughs)
5: Weren't they you, weren't they booing Missy's quotes when yeah, Justin, no,
2: Justin Amash Justin had said it, yeah. yeah Justin up yeah, I mean, they're he
5: reading from you know Mischi's he's reading from human
3: action liberalism and like Missi's the Mises Institute wasn't started by Mises. The Mises Institute was started by Rothbard and stole Mises's name. And, yeah. the Mises, and Rothbard wrote a whole lot about how he disagreed with Mises on a lot of the shit he wrote about in *Liberalism* and *Human Action*. But those are the actual libertarian values that, like, Austrian economics is built on. Is open borders and free migration and voluntary choice which which is generally stuff that the mc
2: isn't down with and look i'm not saying even i disagree with that stuff because i do agree with a lot of it but like it's the fact that you know you're isolating a bunch of people who may be potential allies because you know you're you're purity spiling in like a really bad way and then like they'll isolate lpnh for being too far and too edgy in one direction which is just it's so weird because lpnh has proven to be the most effective um you know libertarian party chapter out of all of them but for some reason, by what metric
3: by what metric
2: By the people that are there, right? I mean the following and the messaging and then the I want a definable
3: metric. when people say best, I want them to define what they mean by best. Most Twitter followers? Sure. How many of those Twitter followers are in New Hampshire actively engaged or actively pursuing political change here in New Hampshire to help that affiliate grow? Very little. We just actually Okay, but I would say
2: probably from chapter to chapter, I would say that LPNH probably and this isn't. This is probably a side effect of them having the most followers. But I would bet that LPNH probably is the most involved libertarians out of any other state.
3: And I could be wrong. You would know much better than me. Sure, they're not involved with LPNH. Okay, they're involved with the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance. They're involved with Americans for Prosperity sure. New Hampshire. Now, okay. here's the thing. AFP as a whole, big, large national organization, horribly conservative and right wing. I have seen AFP New Hampshire. Go to bat against AFP for being too conservative mm-hmm. <laughs> and AFP, big AFP like, why are you just doing libertarian shit? But it, it's a different animal here. Now, uh Ben Weir, he's on the EC of LPNH. He's trying, he's he's doing his best to try and do what I tried to do for years and what I ultimately failed at doing. Make LPNH a vehicle worth doing something. He just hosted an event. Uh, we did a police gun buyback. It was fucking hilarious. The idea from top to bottom. By the way, it was AJ Olding's idea. AJ Olding had pitched this idea for years. We couldn't get any traction on putting it together. Ben followed through with it. Um, lp and tweeted about it, pushed it, all the messaging. Five people showed up. Five people showed up. Three of us were there as cameramen and documentarians. Mm-hmm.
4: Uh-huh. Um,
3: the other two, one was a lpnh member who just thought it'd be fun i asked him if he could bring his dog because it was to save the dogs campaign and the other was a new (laughs) and the other one was a republican state rep yeah not an lpnh member a republican state Mm -hmm. rep showed up so all of that social media following the hundreds of thousands of views and click-throughs and comments not a single person who saw that on twitter showed up to the event
5: yeah, this is one of the things we have an awful lot of really strong libertarian anarchists out there who are members of the Libertarian Party, or were, or will be again. But the thing is, is it's their individual drive, it's their individual projects. You yep. know, we talk about Spike Cohen. You know what he's doing with You Are the Power, right? It's
3: fantastic.
5: He's, he's not doing that as a libertarian. He's doing that as You Are the Power. Yeah. Right. Okay? And it's one of the reasons why a lot of us are saying, no, Spike, keep doing that. Do not divert yourself from that to run as an LP candidate this year. Like,
3: this is one of the weird few things I agree with Maj Torre on. Like. My criticizes lp for being nothing but a Twitter account not actually doing anything on the ground to help progress or do anything, and I actually agree with him, and he's been caught quoting me. He's a fucking piece of shit. I do not like the guy. He fucking doesn't know the first thing about libertarianism. He's a fucking racist asshole. Uh, he has my phone number. You can fucking call me if you want to talk it out, or if you want to fight. I don't know. You keep saying you're coming to New Hampshire, and I get to see you here. Um, fucking, but, like, he is right. He is better than LPNH at doing the street oh, yeah. and like, the work. Here's the thing. I wish That's he would it. just stay the fuck in his lane because some of our best activists, some of the best activists the Liberty Movement has are single-issue activists to stay their fucking lane and do their fucking thing. Lynn Ulbricht. Amazing. One of the most Best and most dedicated criminal justice reform advocates I have ever met. I don't know. I don't think she knows the first thing about libertarian economics, Austrian economics. criminal like I don't think she understands. But you know what? Fucking, she cares about criminal justice reform because her son was victimized by the state, and she wants to write that wrong. And she has driven that lane. No, Maj Torrent. Wanted to drive that fucking lane of Black Nuns Matter and bringing the uh, inner city and urban uh, movements to the Second Amendment. He was doing really fucking good at that. He was doing really, really fucking good at that. He was, he was he was a really good fucking ally on that issue. And then somebody asked him to open his mouth on fucking economics or immigration. or They're like, you should run for mayor. And he ran on a platform of ban immigration because Mexicans are stealing jobs from blacks. <laughs> like, what the fuck? No, he's not the token we need. Um, like, the token <laughs> we need is Eric July, who's actually eloquent, intellectual, brilliant, and good at, like, he understands the artistic aspect. Like, the Mises Fair talk is back. If they could get Eric July involved in the Libertarian Party, it would be a different story. But, no, nope, they got Maj Touré, who's only here to make a buck and make himself famous. In the meantime, he can't pay his child support. And he can't fucking clear up the charges. that can't keep him from being able to possess a gun himself. So
5: long he keeps teaching urban, you know, uh, he is real good about reaching out to the urban population. yeah,
3: stick saying <laughs> you fucking lane like do yeah. Yeah. Right, and there's other people that are really good at what they do and they have a black role. Guns
5: matter has been amazing as far as you know the black libertarian movement, you know being able to bring people in you know and gun control because all gun control is racist.
3: yeah, in the uh, last year though, Maj has done so much damage to that brand by opening his mouth on other issues. All right. Well, and you
2: know what? I, I do kind of have to tip my hat to him, although it was pretty bad. Um, he was talking about foreign policy, something with like the Iran deal saying that Biden was giving like billions of dollars to Iran and he, someone taxed Scott Horton underneath. And it seemed like he was open to learning, but though, like, I don't know, this whole faux thing where, you know, that Twitter space, he came in acting like a gentleman acting like he was the one that was being wrong and when everybody worked together, I'm like, all right, man, come on. <laughs>
3: we got receipts, Maj. Twitter is forever. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> like uh, you can't
3: delete screenshots. Mm. Yeah, no, but I mean, like
2: can't. so now, you know, Dave Smith was supposed to be the uh, you know, the presidential nominee for the um Libertarian Party Mises caucus or the Libertarian Party overall. And uh, you know, he <laughs> never decided was.
3: he never he was. He I down. have but here's the thing. I used I used to be friendly with Dave. We were talking earlier. You used to be friendly with Dave. Um, I had a conversation with Dave on June 8th. 2021. It was right when the whole six million tweet happened. And fucking mm. Dave was telling me then how much he didn't. Know. This is before Reno. He had no intention of running for president. He thought it was fucking, didn't want any involvement in this. And everyone was trying to force him to do it. He was no intention of ever doing it. And you know what? I posted that screenshot. And that's when fucking, after I got in an argument with Dave and he tried to pretend I didn't exist and he didn't know mm. me. I'm like, really? Because here's this really personal conversation we had about how he didn't want to do this thing and get involved mm. after you were be- asking me for help. With the catastrophe in New Hampshire, he was asking me for help getting Jeremy and Reed under control. Uh, like, sure, fuck off. Here's your fucking screenshot. No, they were blinded. Everyone, they had blinders. He was their man. And here's the thing: Dave has a lane. Dave is an incredible communicator. Dave would make a really fucking good candidate. A, a, a ticket of somebody like Dave and somebody like Spike could be something the Libertarian Party's dreamed about since fucking Harry Brown. Ooh. Like, like. But Dave's biggest strength is dumbing shit down. Like <laughs> the reality is, Tom Woods, Tom Woods does the show and speaks at a super high level. But economics, news, state of the world, blah blah blah. The next day, Dave dumbs it down, regurgitates what Tom Woods says in a way that everyone who votes for the Mises Caucus can understand, and that makes him so incredibly valuable that people don't understand it. So I understand, like nobody understands how much actual value he had. I, I understand the drive people had for wanting him to run for a candidate he would be an incredible candidate but he never had the intention of doing it he was out here trying to fucking pop up stats for that special um, and you notice that special he never fucking publicly said i'm not running until the day after that special aired and he fucking got all the hits on it but in the special in the special he makes a joke about how it wasn't gonna happen yeah and he also he, makes a lot of he, jokes he, in the special that he ripped off from Matt Rife's TikToks or Jeremy Kaufman's tweets, but like we can do tons yeah. of that on another episode.
4: But
5: it's like, around <laughs> we at, and right now there's an awful lot of people who are saying, you know, what the current LNC has done to the Libertarian Party. Can we take it back? Can we why? It? Can we fix it? Can we rebuild it? Mm. Is it worth it?
3: Like, here's the thing. I think we need to have an honest conversation with ourselves, and I I think we need to circle back to early 2000s Matt Kibbe with the takeover. Um, Is the LP a vehicle that can have any effective change, or is the actual move to subvert the existing systems and to use the political opera, uh, operations of the other parties that already exist and have a hold on government to insert ourselves into that machination. Matt started the whole fucking Tea Party movement with that book. It's like, it worked. For a hot goddamn minute, you had... Ron Paul, you had a young and principled Rand Paul, you had Massey, Amash, you had DeSantis before his wife got a fucking hold of his brain. Like you had people in Congress who ran under that banner and on that mission with the Freedom Caucus and the Tea Party Caucus to actually make a uh, a change. And like they did good work together. They held Congress hostage. How many times Mm -hmm. did they shut down the government to stop fucking egregious overreach? Rand Paul almost shut down the entire fucking country to stop the drone programs and the domestic spying programs. Like yep. it had. Filibustered for 13 hours. Yeah, it had positive, tangible effect. What happened? Why did we get away from that? Well, the system started corrupting people.
4: You see, well, out, corrupting
5: people and corruptible people actually started taking advantage of the system. Right. DeSantis. You know, what we did to the. What Rand Paul, Ron Paul did to the federal government we started seeing an awful lot of really out there, extreme ideologies recognize that they can take that and take over states. You know, that's why we're looking at hyper red states right now. It's why we're looking at hyper blue states. It's why we're looking at such divisive positions. And again, this goes back to the whole culture issue. We have no culture to create a counterculture against because we're literally national divorce. We have, Two dysfunctional parents trying to raise 50 different states. And it's like we each, they've allocated the children to the states, and it's like they won't let them go.
3: Well, and you're, you're what missing out on a fundamental problem with the libertarian movement and the libertarian party as well. When the culture, as you've described it, is political division, when the culture is political division, and that is all we have to identify ourselves, what is the counterculture? The counterculture is the apolitical position. The counterculture then becomes the libertarian party, which is by definition in principle an apolitical political party, people who don't like politics. The problem with being the counterculture is you don't just attract the people who reject mainstream culture, you, re- you attract the people who are rejected by mainstream culture. Mm-hmm. And if you as a movement cannot filter out the bad from the good and determine who rises to the top in your own organizations and movements and separate those who have been rejected versus those who you've attracted, then you're never going to succeed. And here in New Hampshire, I think we're running into that problem too, where we're finally seeing the power corrupt, where Using that Tea Party strategy, we have successfully taken over the Libertarian, uh, the Republican Party in New Hampshire. Yeah. The Republican Party of New Hampshire's state motto is "Taxation is Theft." You know that thing that the Cathedral Libertarians say is too radical for libertarians to actually say. We should say extortion instead. The Republicans print memorabilia with it and send it out in the mail, and that really? happened by accident because we went to a protest once. The governor was given a speech and we had a big sign that said taxation of theft and i said to my friend i'm like hey hey go stand behind sununu and hold up the sign we (laughs) didn't know we did not know that that speech was his announcement for his re-election campaign and it was the filming of the commercial so when they they could not get an angle to cut that did not include the taxation of theft sign so they had to run it and the democrats decided you know we'll see all the Republicans think taxation is theft. And the Republicans are like, well, fuck it. Let's own it. Sure. They printed, <laughs> they printed shirts. They printed signs. littered the state. There is a 20-minute compilation video on YouTube of New Hampshire state legislators going up to the well to speak and just saying, Mr. Speaker, if I know taxation is theft, I'd vote against this budget. Mr. Speaker, since taxation is theft, I advise everyone to vote against this budget. Mr. Speaker, we all know that taxation is theft, so we must vote against this budget. That's the only argument they make. Like, like it is, it's been successful, but now we're getting to the point where the majority leader here, Jason Osborne, who is a free stater, a libertarian, longtime libertarian activist, has started to like the system's changing. Man. Now he's, he's getting comfy. He's getting comfy as he's the majority leader, he's the most yeah. important person in the legislature. Um, he's also cozying up to Ron DeSantis, or was until that campaign went down in flames yesterday. Um, and he was the leader of so uh, the is, campaign in New Hampshire and now he's yeah. running he's he's campaigning and stumping for a fucking thin blue line warhawk kelly ayot for cover yeah.
2: so is the census campaign actually suspended or is it just like a temporary you know he's going to go do with shit in florida then get back on the trail did you see trump's tweet or
3: truth no, no, I don't have Truth Social. Neither do I. I just saw the screenshot on Twitter, which is hilarious. Mm. Uh, Trump tweeted, my inside source in the DeSantis campaign tells me Ron DeSantis is going to drop out of the race to run for Senate in Florida instead. Twelve hours later, he announces mm. suspending the campaign. I I, would, we'll I think see, he's going to run for U.S. Senate. He, he can't win. Here's the thing. Here's the worst thing. He can't be Biden because the really? You don't think DeSantis?
2: No, because the heartbeat be bill
3: is gonna fucking kill him. The Florida, the Florida oh, abortion yeah. heartbeat bill is gonna kill him with independence and women across the entire fucking country. Okay, well, yeah, I, I,
2: I, understand I understand that argument. Yeah, here's but,
3: a, but uh, here's the thing: Republicans yeah. don't get it. I had this conversation with the New Hampshire Republican state rep a few days ago sure. too, because like when it's election season, people are campaigning, and I'm like, "What the fuck are you guys doing, backing DeSantis or backing A.R.? And he's like, "Well, they're." The strategy is like it's better for the down ticket Republicans like sure we control the party but if we don't have a majority we can't push anything through as libertarians so we got to endorse this fucking war hawk so she can get money for the down ticket I'm like that's fucking bullshit and you know it's bullshit because the people pitching you this strategy are the same people who told you not to talk about abortion at the door they're the same people who told you that nobody actually cared about abortion that the economy was the issue they're the people who failed to (laughs) poll the 18 to 22 demographic because they don't vote they don't exist they're the people who are shocked and bewildered when the 18 to 22-year-old women turned out in record numbers to shut down the GOP Mm -hmm. nationwide in red states. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: Okay? That happens again if you get DeSantis as fucking uh, your candidate. Why? Because all of a sudden Florida's heartbeat bill, which is they keep talking about the extreme abortion bans. That's the extreme abortion ban. Like everyone else is like, that's the one we're aiming. Like all the Christian nationalists, like we got to emulate what Florida did. Florida's got it right. DeSantis loses women, he loses Republican women, he loses independents across the board, and he loses 18 to 22 across the board from all parties. He cannot beat Biden. But he could probably beat that whole field in the primary, and it's going to cost the Republicans the House, the Senate, and probably four or five states.
2: Uh, My mind was always Trump is so unlikable that if – I sincerely believe – I'm not saying
3: Trump Trump is better. I'm not saying no, no, no. no, I I know I'm
2: I'm talking, I'm talking just strictly strategy, like what who might win. I think if it's Trump versus Biden again, I think Trump will probably lose again. I think it's DeSantis versus Biden. I think DeSantis being a newer, younger face, I think he doesn't have all the baggage that Trump has. So I think people are probably willing to say, like, things are so bad right now, we'll pull the lever for DeSantis just because it's something different. I think it's the same deal as what happened in 2020 between no, because all those
3: people were so reluctantly pulled that. uh, um lever for biden in the first place they're still reluctant there nobody's excited for it but if you can't give them something that's like equally palatable then they're not going to do it and DeSantis but, but, but okay but i think different the, reasons to different people DeSantis like, the only can campaign on his his the way you know, that he did in florida DeSantis, that's, his wife can run a twitter account that's the only reason he's made it as far as he can <laughs> um the only Republican candidate right now that has favorable polls against Biden, and I'm not talking about just general population polls. People take 538 from, like, like oh, they got the last two elections wrong. Bullshit. They called it fucking to the T. Like, they're like they th- they said Hillary was going to win. Like, they said Hillary was going to win the popular vote. And then if you looked at the state-by-state breakdown, they had Trump by two in the Electoral College. Guess what happened? You only reported on the popular vote. Uh, all of the actual polls right now, the only one beating Biden is Nikki Haley. And that's terrifying because yeah. she's Are fucking horrible. How is she yeah. beating Biden when she's not even pulling Some of the polls no. I look at. She, she, like, she can't win the primary. Right. She can't win the primary. She doesn't and, energize the yeah. Republican base. Okay, but, but the okay. apathetic independent okay. voters and women will vote for her mm-hmm. over Biden because she doesn't represent a palatable fucking terrifying change. People were right. – like Trump
0: yes.
4: won
3: – because people were like, "We need something different," and then they got something different, and like, "Oh fuck, we were wrong. We didn't actually want something different. We wanted something boring." And so they got Biden.
5: Yeah, nobody got, like, in this got the exact same thing. Biden's the exact same thing Trump was, except he's palatable, boring. Yeah, and, yeah. Nikki Haley and he's the
2: not the dislikable, thing. He's not a dislikable old man. He's That's not an archetypal yeah. Exactly. You can bank on Biden being the dumbass buffoon who just kind of, you know, meanders along. But he, he doesn't inspire hatred in a lot of people. Like, well, I can't bring myself to he mind. should.
5: He I mean, should, well, but, like... You he, know, 50 years in Congress, you know, the war against yeah. drugs, he, saw, he supported the it. The Oregon black. That's what
3: it was. The war
5: against black. There force. was a war yeah. he didn't support. You know, if right. you actually looked at his voting history, he is probably the most evil man in Congress. Yes. Yeah. He supported you know, every you single know, bad policy over the last fifty years. Only because
3: John McCain said, "You know, I mean,
5: <laughs> this is you know."
3: I found an article about John McCain from 1999 the other night with my fucking deep dive research. Um, John, I didn't know this. John McCain launched his presidential campaign for the 2000 election on the eve of NATO's invasion of Yugoslavia because it was his crowning achievement was getting NATO involved in Yugoslavia. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> Like, yeah. he, he openly said, this is the best thing I've ever done in my career.
5: Uh, and Uh you, you saw an awful lot of stuff, if you were paying attention to his votes as well, yeah. that were downright. But it's like, here we are looking at some of the most evil men in U.S. politics. Yep. And they're being escalated to the front end for the presidential seat. And mm-hmm. we got to step back and we go, wait, what? You know, and... Again, one of the other things that we're looking at as far as the extremism goes, we watched the national divorce, we watched the division, we watched the tribalism, we watched all that built between the Democrats and the Republicans, and we've literally watched both sides become so embedded in the culture war, you know, that there's no middle ground. And it's like there's eighty percent of America right now that's going, I just want to go to Walmart and buy dinner.
3: Well, that's the thing. I want to be able
2: to afford my lunch and my dinner. (laughs)
3: Yeah. I reckon, uh, w- when when uh, when Chris Sununu, Governor of New Hampshire, announced he was not going to run for re-election, that actually caught everyone off like, well, what, dude? Like you just you you just set the record for most consecutive terms, and your last term you just won like seventy-eight percent, like like landslide in a gridlocked fifty-fifty state. You wanted mm-hmm. like back the fuck up and get back in office. Like I don't like you. You were really bad on COVID, but you vetoed a lot of terrible shit. So <laughs> please, um, immediately. First person to declare Warhawk Kelly Ayah, one of the worst fucking senators New Hampshire's ever had, one of the worst senators the U.S. has ever had. Thankfully, she was a one term fucking senator. Her entire campaign right now has been about fentanyl and the border fentanyl and the border fentanyl and the border fentanyl. The, border, fentanyl the, the Republican
2: border. talking points.
3: Liberty Utilities yeah. just sent out a mailer to 140,000 ratepayers in the state saying gas mm-hmm. prices are going up 25% this winter. Mm hmm. Right Nobody now, cares. Yeah. Nobody cares about the border. Nobody cares about border. Half the state's not going to be able to afford to heat their homes this winter.
5: No, Jesus. they're not. You know, She's well, out of touch. Let all this stuff go up, and we're not seeing but, any relief. Yeah. You know, but, there's no way they can fix the inflation problem. They're not uh, even interested in fixing the inflation problem. You know, and post-obs, we're looking at everybody who's getting so sick and tired of this Dem versus Republican culture war. Right. who are caught in the middle of it, you know, watching, you know, the Democrats, you know, in states like California and New York just suck money, you know, and spend without any care for the state. You know, their taxes are going through the roof. You got red states that are as corrupt as the blue states and they're infringing on personal rights. You know, we right now, we're looking at uh, cops here in Idaho are getting ready to ask our legislature to repeal fourth and fifth amendment rights for people mm-hmm. as a wait this is a republican state what do you do
4: back <laughs> the blue we got done back to blue
2: yeah yeah i was told all the i was told all the boomers and republicans are getting red pilled on the police by dave smith and michael malice they said they're getting red pilled but you know i i don't know i don't trust new yorkers to tell me about how the red staters are feeling when Who i go when i look right up What's up?
3: Like, who are they redpilling Like, I, I, I don't watch TimCast. I think it's a fucking boring program. It's the evening news with added extra outrage for no reason. Uh, but I saw a clip of Michael Malice and, and Tim Pool fucking going on and on and on about like all of a sudden now they're pushing a narrative that the Podesta emails weren't about child porn. That people are making that up. Like Tim Pool was defending the Podesta emails as being the right was making up what they were about and they weren't actually child porn. These people can't make up their fucking minds. Michael Malice was the was the reason LPH had a problem because he thought the McCain tweets were insensitive, and went too far. Michael fucking Malice, the man whose literal tagline is like, don't make friends with your fucking enemies, like boom. Oh, and
2: teachers them. and teachers should be lined up against the wall. Yeah. That, he said that before. Yeah. yeah.
3: But like we made friend of his personal friend Megan McCain. Like, you know, somebody he shares dinners with uh, and whatnot and someone who gives him airtime on her television show should, should make also, you ask questions that was crossing the fucking line. should it, uh, it like, should make you ask a lot like, of questions. He's the smartest one we, they have. Like, if you actually read like Malice's books and Malice's work, he's brilliant. He's just yeah. such a conceited fucking asshole about shit. And I respect <laughs> being a conceited fucking asshole. Like, I don't make any means about it. Anybody who's followed me on Twitter for any length of period of time knows I'm occasionally just going to pick a fight that doesn't need to be fucking picked. But, like, when I, I picked one of those fights with malice over that and fucking yeah. was able to come back with quotes from Michael Malice, and he didn't block me, he didn't insult me, he didn't say anything sarcastic, he just said, I'm sorry, and start responding. I'm like, oh my god, I beat Michael Malice. Like,
2: yeah, that, that, that zionist deserves to get beat and yes he is a zionist no matter what anybody says that dude is he loves... i'm a zionist
3: too I, I think jews deserve israel i think libertarians deserve new hampshire and ethno-nationalists <laughs> deserve burn. idaho <laughs> communists deserve california <laughs> and answers deserve pittsburgh um no
2: I, I mean he's he's he said uh that he said in one interview, and he since kind of took this back, but he always said we should bomb Palestinians back into the Stone Age. Oh, we have,
3: yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But
2: I mean, Michael Malice said that the 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 they don't have right? a fun-
3: they don't have a functioning electric grid. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. So
5: what kind well, of only just Hawaii and California and Texas? So. I
2: mean, like, <laughs> um, all right, guys, we've been uh, we're running close to two hours here. I really, really enjoyed this chat. Um, if you guys want to plug anything cool you guys got going on, um, feel free to drop it, uh, and we'll wrap her up if you don't got anything else.
5: Uh, so things I got going on, I'm running for mayor of Boise City uh, here in Idaho. Uh, homeless, veteran, uh, disabled, is running for mayor, uh, major metro area in a very red-red state. It's going to be an interesting fight because right now my two opponents are very much back to blue hardcore so hardcore that you know we've had six police shootings in the last six months
3: you March should April. run on a platform and fuck the police
5: right <laughs> uh, yeah so i have,
3: i have a friend who ran for sheriff and she won the republican primary for sheriff on a platform of fuck the police she's now in federal prison but that's a different story
4: altogether. <laughs> all together uh in
5: addition to that we got some big things coming up with medical marijuana initiative we got ranked choice voting that is now on the uh collecting signatures here in the state you know and open primaries in order to create opportunities for takeover of the republican party yes justin that is in the works right now in the state of idaho Simply because they took it too far last year. Yep. Uh, and we got an awful lot of people looking for payback and they want the party back. Um, and we got other things going on. Matter of fact, uh, September 16th, Chase Oliver is going to be out here in Boise doing support. Yeah, I don't have about that. But right now, he's one of the best candidates for support for libertarian uh, recap. That's,
3: that's only because the FEC hasn't published my form two yet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> He's coming out here to help
5: with recruiting for the Libertarian Party. He's coming out to talk. uh um, choice voting He's coming out to talk. Uh, medical, patient autonomy, medical choice, body autonomy, and all those good things. I'd get them for 48 hours. Woo! <laughs> uh, but yeah, so those are my big things coming up. And uh, my webpage, my uh, website for mayor is probably going to be open friday nice. okay, we'll get a review for that so that's going to pop up here soon and honestly except for the fact that the anxiety is making my stomach turn <laughs> and humble uh you know for all the stuff i got my irons in uh this is going to be an incredible heaven, or incredible fall
4: nice welcome to the fall <laughs> uh, yeah uh, yeah (laughs) Yeah, uh
2: justin good
3: so follow me on twitter at o'donnell4nh that's where i just really post everything i mean but there's so much going on right now i mean i am technically a best-selling author don't think that pays the rent though. Uh, but you can check out my book, Live Free and Thrive. It's all about why you assholes should move to the libertarian Zionist homeland of New Hampshire and why it's the free state in the country, 101 reasons. Uh, I do have another book. It wasn't a bestseller, but it is available. You can find those links too in my Twitter. I have a bunch of projects I'm doing right now. I'm working on a short film about the homeless industrial complex I'm calling. I can't decide if it's Homeless Inc or Camp Craig, we're going to workshopping a name, uh, as well as writing a new novel and uh, running a couple substacks sub stacks one political, one personal, and a book club. But hit me up on Twitter. My DMs are always open. If you got something fun or something stupid, the other night I got really high and filed a FEC form two to run for president as a libertarian. And it turns out they let me take my own title. So it's Lord Justin O'Donnell the Angry for president. And they even let me declare a VP candidate. And that's Tara Kelly of the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus oh in Texas, the Lady of Xanax. <laughs> I'm loving it already. The best part was
5: you gotta name the committee. What's the committee? Yeah,
3: they let me name the committee Giant Meteor 2024. (laughs) I I can get behind that campaign. Sorry, everybody, make sure you go check out Joe's stuff. I'm not gonna do a goddamn thing with it, but it exists. (laughs) So, everybody, make sure you go support Joe and uh,
2: go check out Justin's campaign because I, I think I'm on board now. I know I really like Josh, but this campaign sounds pretty tight. (laughs) all right everybody make sure you go hit the links below follow everybody everywhere and thanks for listening until next time take care
5: you guys take care